0: To have your Bibles open to the book of Jonah. A man is swallowed by a great fish, remains inside the fish for three days, and lives to tell about it. Sounds far fetched. Couldn't have happened. Not possible. Ludicrous just a make-believe story to teach us a spiritual lesson. At least that's how this biblical account of Jonah is viewed by a lot of modern-day people who call themselves Christians. Well, Jesus had no trouble believing in the historical reality of Jonah. Jesus chose Jonah's experience as a type of his resurrection In fact, uh, Jonah is the only minor prophet mentioned by our Lord. We believe that the book of Jonah is autobiographical, that is, it's written by Jonah, although it's not stated that he is the author. He was a prophet to the northern tribes of Israel. He lived in the days of Jeroboam II, who was reigned over Israel, 793 to 753 B.C., Jonah ministered about the same time Amos, the prophet, was preaching to Israel and warning Israel of the impending judgment of God through the Assyrian nation. Well, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. And Jonah is told to go to Nineveh and proclaim a message of impending judgment. As I read and reread and reread the book of Jonah this past week or two, Uh, I see so many lessons that pertain to you and I, because maybe we are attempting to run away from God, as foolish as that sounds. Are there areas in our life where God has spoken to us, and I'm talking about he's spoken to us in the Bible, there's no doubt about what the will of God is, and we may be saying, nope, that's not for me, that's not the course of action I plan to take. I'll do it differently. Well, then we're like Jonah. Jonah is running from God's will, and he's running from God's love. We know he is called to preach. In fact, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Nineveh was located on the Tigris River, very near to the modern-day city of Mosul, Iraq, some 500 miles east of Palestine. In Jonah's day, Nineveh was a great city, as I mentioned, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, covered 1,850 acres just within the walls. I'm told the walls were 100 feet high around the city and so wide that three chariots could go around the top of the walls. It had hanging gardens and parks and a 50-mile aqueduct that brought water into it. Great roads. A city of significant size and splendor and grandeur. But it was a wicked city. And the Assyrians were famous for their brutality. In fact, they took great glee in finding ways to torture people. I read in one source that they actually skinned people alive. They seemed to lack all compassion. And it reached a point where God had had enough, and he was going to take action. And Jonah was given the unenviable and dangerous assignment of going into this pagan place of violence and proclaiming judgment upon the people. God says, their wickedness has come up before me which reminds me that God sees everything. God is holy. Nothing is hidden from his gaze. Nothing is kept secret from God. All our thoughts and imaginations and desires, our words, our deeds are fully known to God. We can can hold secrets from people. That's fairly easy to do. Uh, People can't read our minds. Well, our wives can read the minds of husbands. It doesn't work the other way around, but our wives can read our minds, it seems. We will not be judged because of what people see. We'll not be judged because of our reputation, which we can present fairly positively. We'll be judged by our character, and that's what God sees. Well, Jonah flees from God, but, the Lord, but Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He's defiant. He outright disobeys God. He went to Joppa, the nearest uh, seaport to where he was, and he made his plan to go to Tarshish. Now, Joppa is on the eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea, if you look on a map, and Tarshish was in Spain, on the western side of the Mediterranean Sea. In fact, in Jonah's mind, no place on earth was further away than Tarshish probably about 2,000 miles from where he was. Now, did Jonah actually believe that he could physically take himself beyond the reach of God? Apparently, he did at this point. Well, what's his motivation? Why is Jonah so adamant about not going to Nineveh? In one sense, it's a noble reason, not justified, but a noble reason. He loved his people And he despised the Ninevites, the Assyrians, for their cruelty. And Jonah's own people were suffering at the hands of the Assyrians. He was convinced they deserved the judgment of God, not his mercy. So his patriotic concern for his own nation overrode, took priority over his fidelity to God. Jonah knew that God could use his preaching to bring repentance to the Ninevites and Jonah wanted them to burn, not be saved. We may feel justified in taking a course of action forbidden by God. We may say that our situation is an exception to the rule. We need to remember that what sin is. Sin is disobeying God, pure and simple. Sin is refusing to do what God says we should do or doing what God says we shouldn't do. Our modern culture cannot define sin because it has no place for God and absolute truth. So it has no fixed standard to evaluate what's right and what's wrong. But nothing in modern culture changes the definition of sin. Sin is not determined by cultural norms. The Ninevites were sinners. Jonah was sinning. We are sinners. And we must give an account to God. Now, from the human perspective, Jonah did nothing illegal. He was not a stowaway on the ship, he paid the fare. So he was on board legally. There's another lesson here for us. There are things in our culture which are legal but are not moral. Gambling is legal. It's not moral. Homosexuality is legal. It's not moral. Common law relationships are legal. They're not moral. Not forgiving another person. There's no legislation which says you must forgive people who wrong you. The government doesn't say that. The Bible says that. The Bible doesn't say you have to worship, or at least our culture doesn't say you must be in church on Sunday and you must worship God, and you must serve God, and you must give to God. That's not legislated by culture. It is legislated in the Word of God. Well, so far as Jonah is concerned, his disobedience was final. Once his mind was made up to renounce the commission of Jehovah, his actions were consistent with that decision. Jonah said, I'm through with God, and God said, Jonah, I'm not through with you. So he was attempting to do the impossible. He was attempting to run away from God. Somehow he thought that physically he could remove himself, and twice in verse 3, from the presence of the Lord. Now, I think Jonah theologically believed in God's omniscience, that is, that God knows everything, and God's omnipresence, that God is present everywhere, but somehow he forgets it at this particular point. Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shield, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, every... Even there your hand will lead me, your right hand will lay hold on me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, God. The night is as bright as the day. Darkness and night are alike to you. You can't physically get away from God. That's impossible. So we read in verse 4, the Lord hurled a great wind of the sea and there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. Here we see the sovereignty of God over nature. The sailors are doing their best to keep the ship afloat. They believe that the gods, because they were pagans, believe that the gods were angry with him for some reason. So we read the sailors became afraid. They began to cry out to their god. These were seasoned sailors. They knew what to do in storms, but they've never been in a storm like this storm. Now, where's Jonah? Well, he went down to the hold of the ship. He'd fallen sound asleep. The guy doesn't care. I I, I imagine he's like a a child that thinks, if I put a, a blanket over my head, no one's going to see me. <laughs> if I go down into the hold of the ship, then even God can't get at me down there. Well, the sailors implored Jonah to cry out to his God. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up and call on your God. Perhaps your God, which is different from our God's, I guess, it's because I don't think Jonah said anything to them about his God until just Um, coming up here now, they cast lots, they shake the dice, they flip a coin and by divine providence the lot fell on Jonah. Not by chance, by providence. The Bible says, the lot is cast in the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. So Jonah finds himself being interrogated by the sailors. Tell us, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country from? What people are, are you? Who are you? And finally, Jonah gets honest. He fesses up to the situation and I think Jonah said a whole lot more than what's mentioned in verse 9 I'm a Hebrew I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land so try to picture the dramatic scene under which this confession which I'm sure was a whole lot longer than verse 9 the storm was at its terrible height the wind is shrieking. the waves are pounding against the ship Jonah is surrounded by desperate men. And we have to give him credit. At least he's honest. He tells them what is going on. And they say in verse 10, how could you do this? Notice verse 10. Then the man became extremely frightened and said to him, how could you do this? If your God is a God of the sea, as you say he is, if he's a sovereign Lord, and you're running from him, why would you do such a thing? Very. Very convicting question, isn't it? Sometimes the world can ask us, how could you do that? You're a Christian. How could you act that way? Good question. See, our sin affects other people. David found this out. Achan found this out. Never believe the lie that when we do something wrong, we only hurt ourselves. We don't. We hurt a lot of other people. Then they asked Jonah, what should we do with you? And Jonas said, throw me overboard. If you throw me overboard, the storm will stop. He is more prepared to die than repent at this point. But look what the sailors do. These are men who at this point, now I think they come to a saving knowledge of, of, of the one true God. However, the men row desperately to return to the land, I believe that this storm came up shortly after they left the port of Joppa. They're out not too far into the ocean because they try to row back to land. And they can't make it. The storm gets worse. But we see the compassion of the the sailors. Jonah says, throw me overboard. If you get rid of me, you get rid of the storm. And in God's common grace, these men care about Jonah. They don't want to throw him into the ocean. But the task is impossible. And finally, the sailors have no choice. They called on the Lord. Now they're praying to the one true God. I mean, there's a miracle happening here. We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. They are acknowledging the sovereignty of God. These these men are just coming into true faith. And they're already acknowledging that God is in charge here. So they picked Jonah up and they threw him into the sea and the sea stopped. uh, Stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. I believe that they become believers in the one true God. I believe we'll see these sailors in glory. Well, God appoints a great fish. God is able to save us, even when we get ourselves into messes, as we often do. God is able to save us in amazing ways. When we think the situation is hopeless, when we think we have run too far away from God, when we think that we are beyond redemption, God in mercy reaches out and rescues us. He is a tenacious God when it comes to his people. Then we have Jonah's prayer of thanksgiving in chapter two. It's an amazing prayer. I called out of my distress to the Lord, he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. I said, I have, expelled, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. Here he is sinking lower and lower. I don't think he ends up in, in, the, in the big fish. And by the way, the Bible doesn't say it was a whale. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But it was a big fish anyways. And he's going down, 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 down. And he's weeds are, I mean, it's a terrifying scene. He's trying to hold his breath, I would think. And just before he passes out, while I was fainting away, verse 7, I remember the Lord. So all, all the way to what he thinks is his death, he's praying to God. There are tremendous lessons here. God answers our cry of distress even when we are guilty. Jonah was not on his way to Nineveh praying. He was on his way to Tarshish. He was in an act of disobedience. He was running from God. And maybe some of the trouble that we're involved in right now is because we have been running from God. Should I pray? Yes, pray. Is it too late? No, it's not too late. Pray to God. God answers us in spite of his judgment. On the human level, it was the ship's crew that threw Jonah into the water. But Jonah sees it differently, verse 3 of chapter 2. For you had cast me into the deep. You did this to me, God. I acknowledge this. This was divine chastisement. We might despair when we realize that the choices we have made have put us into a predicament which has caused the displeasure of God. We might say, is there any point in praying now that I've messed things up? Yes, pray. God never brings us into affliction for the sake of our destruction. Affliction is meant to be redemptive, not punitive. God answers us and delivers us from impossible circumstances. As we said in verse 5 and 6, we see the seaweed wrapped around him and he's holding his breath and he's about to passed out, it's a terrifying situation. and Things get worse and worse and worse for Jonah. And sometimes trouble comes in batches in our life. We get hit, down we go, we, we struggle up to our feet and we get slammed again, down we, down we go again. And in our multitude of afflictions, we don't see any way out, is there any rescue? Jonah must have thought that way, but he keeps praying. And God answers in the nick of time in verse seven. God answers our prayers in stages rather than all at once. The belly of a great fish is not a wonderful place to be. Yuck. Uh, imagine it stunk down there and it was gooey and slimy. And, and, uh, but it was part of God's rescue plan. John Piper says something, and we need to heed this. We must get out of our head that all or nothing notion of answered prayer. We must get out of our head the all or nothing notion of answered prayer. Don't belittle small mercies. Don't disregard a progressive answer to our prayer, to your prayer. God's deliverance often does not come all at once. Bang, and it's there, and we're all rescued. Now, salvation comes that way, but often troubles in life are not that way at all. Then God answers our cry of distress in order to win our undivided thanksgiving and loyalty. Verse 8, those who regard vain idols or empty vanity, some translations say, forsake their faithfulness. If you haven't underlined a verse in the Bible, you're probably like, I didn't know this verse was here. But here it is. In other words, those who cling to worthless idols forsake the source of mercy. They forfeit the grace that could be theirs. If you run from God, you forsake his mercy. If you involve yourself in trusting and depending on Something, someone other than God, some an idol is anything, anything that takes the place of God. When you leave the Lord, you leave his mercy. So don't leave the Lord. Run to the Lord in your distress and receive mercy. And Jonah's mouth is filled with thanksgiving. I will offer, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving that which I vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord." Remember, he's this, this prayer is when he's in the belly of this great fish. Call upon me in the day of trouble, the Bible says, and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. The ultimate reason for answered prayer is not our deliverance, it's God's glory. The ultimate reason for our salvation is not that we were rescued from hell, as wonderful as that is, it is for the glory of God. Any answer to prayer is not to build us up and make us look good and meet all our needs. It isn't. It is to glorify God in his grace and his mercy. And God answers us in our guilty distress to help us become merciful like he is. This is the point of the book. It's not Jonah and the whale. The point of the book is be merciful for God is merciful. Merciful. In our distress, even when we are the cause of our distress, call upon the Lord, and he will rescue you. Well, Jonah doesn't get it. End of story. Jonah is spit up, vomited up. Verse 10, the fish is sick of Jonah. I'm glad that God wasn't sick of Jonah. The fish had tasted better meals, I'm sure. Well, Jonah still has a job to do, do, so he's recommissioned by the Lord. Frank uh, Gabeline says, if the miracle of the fish is great, that of this chapter is even greater. For there is the record of nothing less than the greatest mass conversion in history. Never again has the world seen anything like, quite like the results of Jonah's preaching in Nineveh. So God says, go to Nineveh, Proclaim what I'm going to tell you. Jonah rose and went to Nineveh. And he speaks the word of God. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Why 40 days? Mercy. Grace. Not tomorrow. It's over. 40 days. It would have been Jonah better for Jonah to obey the, the Lord in the first place. He wouldn't have had the fish experience. Isn't it wonderful that God gives us many chances, many, many, many chances, not just a second chance. I don't believe in a second chance of salvation. When you die, that's it. Whatever decision you make for the Lord in this life, for or against him, that remains for all eternity. I'm saying in life, we are forgiven again and again and again, and the mercy of God just keeps coming and coming. Grace just like like the waves on a shore, just flowing in, flowing in, flowing in. Thank God daily for his mercies. Never deserved, but constant, always coming. As I said, Jonah obeys and he goes. And I think that part of his message, although he said in 40 days Nineveh will be overthrown, there must have been some statement, if you repent, God will show you mercy. Because what we see in the end, rest of chapter 3 is an amazing Conversion from the top of the leadership to the bottom. Even the animals are supposed to fast. They can't pray, but they're supposed to... The whole population... Now, if there were 120,000 people, the last couple of verses in... last verse in Jonah says that do not know their right hand from their left. Some people say this means that there were infants, young children, who didn't know their left hand from their right hand. If there were 120,000 of that age, there must have been a half a million people in that city and the surrounding territory. And they all repent. They all turn to God. Verse 9 of chapter 3, Who knows, God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked ways, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared would bring upon them. And he did not do it. Had the city remained in unbelief, the judgment would have come. These are different people now, by God's grace. So God withholds his calamity. By the way, 100, 150 years later, the city is destroyed. But but not now. And of course, Jonah was thrilled. Wow. Thank you, God. Thank you for this wonderful conversion of people. Jonah is ticked. You look at him and say, what in the world is going on with this guy? It greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, please, Lord, was not that what I said? I knew you would do that. I knew it. That if I preached judgment, and, that you would forgive them if they repented. And I didn't want that to happen. What a hard heart this man has the only good news I see here is that God can use us even when our attitude stinks yeah and and sometimes in ministry our heart is far from where it ought to be we're saying the right things we're doing the right stuff but we don't have the heart of compassion that we ought to have so God So Jonah ran from the will of God, and now he's trying to run from the love of God. He is choosing not to love those whom God loves. He was not about to bless those who curse him. No way. What does Jonah want to do? He wants to die. If you're going to show compassion to these people that I detest, take my life. I don't want to live. I don't know. God was really, really patient with Jonah. I look at Wayne Wicks, and I say, God is really, really patient with Wayne Wicks. Wow. So Jonah builds himself, Jonah goes outside of the city, builds himself a little cover in a shack of some sorts. He sits down (laughs) to see what would happen. I still think he's saying, I hope they burn. I hope they get judged. I hope God sends his judgment. Why else could he be sitting there? But the Lord appoints a plant, grows up, gives Jonah shade. And Jonah is happy. Oh, I got shade. I got comfort. Then God appoints a worm that kills the plant. And Jonah's upset. He's angry. And he cries with all his soul, saying, Let me die. Take my life. Physical comfort meant more to Jonah than the salvation of souls. You say, oh, that's bad. It is. But what about us? What about how we spend our money? What about our time? What about our gifts? What about our prayer life? Are we more concerned with souls than stuff? I hope we are. By the way, I see God's sovereignty all the way through here. The Lord hurled a great wind. The Lord appointed the great fish. Jonah says, for you have cast me into the sea. The Lord commanded the fish. The Lord appointed a plant. The Lord appointed a worm. The Lord appointed a scorching wind. Nothing's left to chance here. In our life, nothing is left to chance either. Some concluding questions. You may be going through a troubled time right now, a difficult time. Time of great misery. It could be because you're running from God. And God is showing you a severe mercy. He has sent you trouble to bring you to repentance. Understand that that may be happening. Secondly, I pray that our physical comfort our affluent lifestyles does not mean more to us than missions and ministry and giving thirdly if we are pursuing an idol we are forsaking the mercy of god and that is a dangerous place to be and lastly Maybe there's someone who has hurt you big time. I mean, really big time. And you have some pretty strong feelings, pretty negative feelings about that person. And you don't want to show them mercy. And you don't want God to show them mercy. Will you ask God to change your heart? That was Jonah. That was Jonah saying, God... Destroy them. Judge them. Don't save them. Don't rescue them. They've hurt my people. Don't give them mercy. What a horrible thing to say. We recognize that in Jonah. I hope that that's not happening toward any individual or group of people in our life. God said, should I not have compassion on the Ninevites? Should we not have compassion on the natives? Should we not have compassion on people in our family who are not following God? I guess my final word is this. Be like Jesus. <laughs> Don't be like Jonah. Be like Jesus, who always did the will of the Father, and who came and gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins. Let us pray. Father, thank you for all these lessons from Jonah. We get hung up on a man and a fish, a man and a whale. Oh, the lessons here are way beyond that, although I believe that really happened. It's all about your mercy. It's all about your grace. Where would we be if you didn't show us mercy? Where would we be if Jesus didn't die on the cross for us? So God, forgive us for our hard-heartedness, our indifference. Forgive us for running from you and forsaking the source of mercy. Stop us, Lord, from doing that. Stop us in our tracks.